Thanks, Sandy, very much. He was praying at a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is one of the only things recorded that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. Teach us to pray. Now, the request at face value may seem a little odd because these were Jews. Presumably they prayed all their lives. But when they began hanging out with Jesus, when they began listening to his words, watching him at work, observing him at prayer, they recognized the radical difference between them and him. You see, prayer for Jesus, it seemed to them, was much more than a form. It was a force. It was the power behind everything that he did. And they longed to pray that way. And don't we all? Now, I imagine in a gathering like this, in a church on a beautiful Sunday morning, it's pretty safe for me to assume that most of us learn to pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, at an early age. Do you remember where you learned it? Do you remember who taught it to you? Do you remember where you most prayed it growing up? Was it at church? Or maybe in Sunday school? Or at home? Or, this has to go way back, perhaps at school. There was a time. There was a time. Wow. Now, the version we learned is the one modeled on Matthew's gospel, his account of the Lord's Prayer. But today we're in Luke. I think you already noticed that Luke's version is somewhat different than Matthew's. It's, uh, it's rather simplified and concise compared to that one. You know, nine months ago, I faced a life-threatening medical event in my life. And after I knew I'd survive, and they discharged me from the hospital... I gratefully came home and slowly regained my strength, very slowly, and realized that I had been sick for a very long time. I had no energy, I'd had no motivation, I'd had no focus. And I kept putting things off, you can ask Barb, putting things off for years. One of the things I put off was uh, remodeling my home office. That was the last room in the house, which we built 25 years ago, that hadn't been touched since we moved in. (laughs) Nothing had been removed, just everything had been sort of pushed in there. When I was working, it's where I did most of my preparation work. It was an office, a necessity. When I retired... And when I went through this event and when I regained my strength, 
I found a new energy and focus for my life, and I wanted to take that project on finally. And so we did. I wanted a proper study. I wanted a den. God knows I wanted a man cave. (laughs) But it was packed, packed to the hilt with books and bookshelves and articles and materials and old furniture. Well, I had two desks in there. Heaven knows. (laughs) There were items that I had collected and people had given me kindly over the years in ministry. I was hesitant to give those away. Well, we set about. We emptied the room, cleaned it right out. We renovated. We had it renovated. One of the last things I had to do was decide what was going back in. I realized my my enormous library (laughs) wouldn't fit in my plans for it. And so I had to make some choices. I had to call my library. I had to begin to sort what I was keeping, what I was going to give away. And that was a painful, long process. Books, boxes sat everywhere in the house. There were books at the church that I didn't have room to bring home. I'd left them there for over three years. I went and got those all over the place. And so slowly we did that. I sorted through. I disposed of the books I wanted. My dear friends went hopefully to bless others. And with a new space opening up, I kept only those books that I really felt were important to me. Well, the fruit of my decluttering was the creation of a simplified, sacred, and serene space. I didn't like going down there in the old days. It meant work. Now you have to drag me out of it. I think what Luke has done in his version of the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is he's done a sort of decluttering of Matthew's version. He's simplified it. He's stripped it down of all adornment. He's emptied it of all non-essentials. I think what he's done is given us the kernel and the very core of the prayer that Jesus prayed and taught his followers, us, also to pray. Now, I know, though we're all familiar with it, and we've prayed it often and we'll continue to do that, we don't always pray the Lord's Prayer, in my experience, with excitement, with energy, with expectation, without sometimes a radical understanding of the nature of this prayer for our lives. I once I heard a story a professor from Vancouver School of Theology was in Israel, and uh, one of the things he purchased before he left was a postcard. It was a postcard of the Lord's Prayer. And it was in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus really spoke. But when he got to the airport and he was going through customs and the security personnel, they screened him closely. They looked through all his belongings. They found this one item, this postcard. And they looked at him suspiciously. And they began to share it with one another and look at him. 
He wondered what was going on. They asked some hostile questions about it. It looked like Arabic. They were nervous. And he said to them, it's just a postcard. It cost me 50 cents. But he thought later, what if I agreed with them that it was a threat? What if I said, you're right, there's a revolution in that prayer. And you should lock anyone up who takes it seriously. It's dangerous. It's a prayer not for prime time. Let's turn to the words of the prayer itself. Now, it starts out rather properly, benignly, one would say. It starts with an affirmation Jesus makes, an affirmation. Father, hallowed be your name. There's no our. There's no who art in heaven. Just this opening. Simply Jesus' affirmation and ours as we come to prayer, that we are praying to the always present God, not to the somewhere else God. The God we hallow, the God we bless as the ultimately good God, the God who desires only good for us as children. Now, this was a foundational teaching of Jesus as you read through the Gospels. And it's affirmed even here in our text this morning in one of those short stories he tells. It's the story of the, of the, the parent whose child asks for a fish. And he says, you, as a parent, wouldn't give him a snake, would you? Not at all. And then he says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more will God give only good gifts to those who ask God? In fact, God will give the best gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is that gift? That's the gift of God's essence, of God's presence, of God's ultimate being, an intimate relationship with you, that gift God will give to you. Wow. The next thing I want to say is this. Having made this affirmation, having affirmed that we approach this God who is hallowed and blessed as good, then Jesus aligns himself to the ultimate purpose and desire of this good God as we are called to do. Three words. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. If there's nothing else we were to say, that would be a good thing to say. But it's also where the hammer falls on exposing the revolutionary nature of the prayer. After all, this is the kingdom Jesus preached. This is the gospel he came proclaiming. This is the kingdom that he said was near, that was arriving with him. This is what consumed him in his ministry. And we were talking earlier about the word kingdom and how it is loaded, as all words are, 
for different ones of us in different ways. And one can always find other words for it, the reign, the realm of God. One person I know says the dream of God. Whatever you want to put in there, that's fine. The ultimate reality that we wait for and long for, Jesus proclaimed, it's arriving in him, consumed him. He prayed for its coming. He declared its presence was already breaking in through his works of liberation and healing and forgiveness. It was where the poor are blessed and everyone has enough. Well, that's expressing the radical revolutionary nature, the threat that this prayer can be. We are to pray to be aligned to the same kingdom cause as Jesus. Someone said, Jesus preached the kingdom, but all that came was the church. (laughs) Well, we are told to seek first the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And I think we flipped it too often. I think we think we're building the church. And somehow God will look after the kingdom. Another place Jesus said this, Don't be afraid, little ones. Please, God, to give you the keys to the kingdom. We have to argue sometimes at meetings of who gets the keys to the church. If your church is like anything like the ones I've known. The keys of the kingdom have been given to us, friends. I will build my church. First things first. It's what Jesus came. It's what Jesus died for. It's what the resurrection demonstrated has here available to be realized. It's true. A friend of mine is a pastor in the States, Jim Poit. He tells a story of his youngest daughter. It was Christmas Eve, the late service, packed to the gills, right? Not a seat to be had. Jim's wife was in the choir somewhere over there, and he was up on the on the platform, and suddenly he was aware that his youngest daughter was standing next to him, and she was saying, Daddy, I'm wet. Please change me. And he whispered over, Elizabeth, Daddy's kind of busy right now. You're going to have to wait. And he'd tell a child to wait. Well, she went and sat down. Things proceeded, and suddenly... He looked, and here she was. She walked up to the front. She stood in front of the congregation, and she said this, Please change me! (laughs) And I thought, and he thought, it's not what we're doing in prayer. We're saying to God, Please, God, change me. Change me. It is in this prayer. We're saying, change me. Align my passions with yours. Align my energies and actions and behaviors to seeking first your, your reign, your realm for all people, for the world. Make that my priority. Change me. Your kingdom come. First, an affirmation, the goodness of God, a God who desires good things for us. One of those good things is the reality of the kingdom of God, the alignment of our lives to pursue that. Finally, there's asking. Affirmation, alignment, asking for the resources necessary 
to serve that kingdom cause. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, I don't think that Jesus is asking us to lay out a shopping list of personal wants and needs. And he doesn't discourage us from praying for those needs and desires. But his prayer places those things in the context of the prayer for the ultimate coming of God's kingdom, God's realm and reign. And here's what it's all about. Here's what it's all about. Newsflash. God's blessings aren't just for us. They're through us for other people. And God's kingdom isn't about heaven far off in another life someday. It's about God's beautiful world that we've wrecked, that God will not let go of, not ever. So we're to pray for the basic resources to work for the manifestation of that kingdom in the here and now, acknowledging God's blessings aren't meant to stop with us, but to go through us for those who lack daily bread, basic life necessities. I mean, friends, how do we pray for our daily bread when so many others have no bread? It seems to me to be cheap grace to pray, give us our bread, when we know, most of us, where our bread is coming from. But leave it up to God to figure out where you are to get your bread. How can others' needs be included in my prayers when I'm unwilling to be an instrument of God's use to help tangibly meet the needs of others? And if I'm not, then this prayer is not one we're ready to pray. We see this in the other story Jesus tells in our reading today. That story of the persistent late-night plea by one man to a friend for some bread for another friend who's arrived out of the blue because the one making the request has nothing to offer the visitor. Nothing. Nothing even for himself and his family. And yet he's there to make the appeal for another friend in need. He seeks bread for that one. To be a good host offering something good to another in need. It's kingdom work. We are to become the answer, as I often say. We are to become the answer to God's prayer for the kingdom to come. The final kingdom resource we're to seek to share are found in Jesus' words. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. That's a little different than Matthew's words. Forgive us our sins as we forgive. It sounds like, oh yeah, as we forgive. No, no. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Forgiveness is kingdom business. It's not about revenge on those we feel have wronged us. It's about reconciliation. The heart of the gospel. Reconciliation. Right relatedness. The true and lasting harmony among 
and between all people and creation itself, the heart of the realization that God's reign has come. If we turn to 2 Corinthians 5, we won't have time today, but if you do that and read through that passage, you see this theme is central to it. It says, we are ambassadors now of a new order, a new creation, a new reality. We are the chosen representatives of the kingdom of God in the midst of whatever earthly realm or kingdom we find ourselves. We have a higher citizenship, sisters and brothers. You are an ambassador representing in a foreign land that higher reality and kingdom. The primary function of our ambassadorship is to declare God's forgiveness. It's already granted in Christ. And release others from the personal indebtedness by declaring our forgiveness of them. Verses 18 and 19, 2 Corinthians 5. Hear these words. All this is from God who reconciled us to God's self through Christ, past, past tense, and has given us this ministry of reconciliation, that in Christ God was, was past, reconciling the world inclusive to God's self, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors of Christ. Five times in four short, short verses is that word reconcile, reconciliation. Important, central to the resource we need to be able to pass along to others and seek. If we're not prepared to extend forgiveness, to seek to be reconciled with all with whom we might feel estranged, then we better not pray this prayer. And the final word sums it all up. I like this one. Although it's, you read it differently in different translations. And do not bring us to the time of trial. I like this one. In other words, save us when things get out of control. That's a good one. Because they will and do. Or don't let us screw up too badly as we seek all this stuff. Keep us serviceable till your kingdom truly comes. May it be so. Amen. I'm going to close with a final hymn. Uh,